Welcome to the Wollongong Salvation Army. It is great to see you. If you're joining us on uh, the video cast, it's great to see you. Have you joined us? We are in the second week uh, of a series in which we are looking at g- social justice. We call the, this uh, series Kingdom Come. Today, specifically, in Junior Soldier Renewal Sunday, we are looking at God's mission. What does God want to see happen? Last week, we uh, had a, a message from... Um, almost said Carolyn O'Brien, but it's Casey O'Brien. And uh, she, the Territorial Manager for Social Justice, unpacked for us this, this great truth. And the truth is this, justice isn't just something God does, justice is something God is. And as we grow to be more and more like Him, if we grow more and more to be holy, then we are going to be more and more just people. So if you missed that message, um, I invite you to go back onto the Wollongong Salvos YouTube channel, go back to last week and watch Casey's message because it's an important foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Next week, um, my, uh, my supervisor, some of you know that I'm doing some extra study and my supervisor is coming to preach next Sunday, uh, so that will be interesting. Uh, I will be here and I'll be sitting there and it'll be a bit like a lecture, but maybe not. And uh, so Arseni is coming and uh, that is going to be Wonderful. We're going to talk about including the excluded. And um, yeah, that should be amazing. So justice is very much a part of who God is. And this becomes quite obvious as we travel through the Old Testament. God, time after time, identifies himself with the poor all throughout Scripture. The poor, the outcast and the vulnerable. There's a famous story that Jesus tells in Matthew, recorded in Matthew chapter 25, and he talks, it tells a story, or maybe it's a prophecy, about sheep and the goats. Perhaps you've heard it if you've been around church for a long time. It's the end of time. It's judgment day. The day in which we all give an account of our lives. God is there separating people like sheep and goats. And the people don't quite understand the measure by which God is separating them. They don't understand why some people end up in the goat pen and some people end up in the sheep pen. They don't understand how God judges some to be good and some to be bad. Jesus explains in Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Well, the people were still confused. doesn't matter whether they were good or bad people, whether they were goat people or the sheep people, whether they were in the good pen or the bad pen, they were still confused. When did we see this? God, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you... When? Well, Jesus says in verse 40 of verse 45, Truly I tell you, whatever you did or, or didn't do, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did or you didn't do for me. I, me, he identifies as the poor, the outcast, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the vulnerable. And that will be the measure so how, we underst- how well we understand God defines how well we act towards him as the least and the most vulnerable. 
And it's not a new idea. It's all throughout Scripture. Isaiah 58, we read it this morning. Fee read it for us. Thanks, Fee. Good job. The people seemed in this Isaiah 58, they, they seem to be doing good, right? They, they've fasted, and they pray, they worship, they humble themselves. They do all this stuff right. They ask God for advice, and they try and do what God says, but their prayers are not being answered. It's like God is not listening. He's gone away on holiday. They're being ignored, and God explains what he has noticed. God has noticed that they exploit their workers. Primarily, in this case, they make them work all week long without a day break and without a Sabbath to worship. These people argue and fight amongst themselves. These people ignore the hungry, the homeless, the naked and the vulnerable. And if God identifies with the people at the bottom of the ladder, something's wrong, right? So even if you are the most sincere worshipper, the most up-to-date giver, the most skillful singer, God says, if you do not in any way care about the people who suffer hardship or injustice, if you are not dedicated to them in any way, then you may think you know me, says God, but you don't. You may think you've experienced my grace, but you haven't. You may think you have a relationship with me, but you don't know me. Christians as followers are not static. We follow. And God has a mission to bring justice because that's who he is. And it's our mission too. Well, what is the target? What is the target? The uh, word in the Bible, in the Hebrew Old Testament for justice is mishpat. And as we go through, we find three things that are important, uh, three things that this word means and talks about as you go through the Old Testament. We do a bit of a word study. First of all, um, the word mishpat, the word justice in the Old Testament, means equality. It means equality. Racial and social equality. Um, have a look, uh, if you have a Bible and you wish to tap through. Have a look at Leviticus 24:22. One of the oldest records of legal documents in the in existence. And the law this law says, you are to have the same law for the foreigner as you do for the native born. The law is the law is the law for everyone. In ancient times, if you were a uh, for instance, if you were a citizen of Rome, you had far more opportunities far more legal rights, far more pleasures available to you than if you were not a citizen and just someone who lived in the land. The difference between citizenship and permanent residency was huge. And the difference between permanent resident and asylum seeker or refugee was the same as the difference between an ordinary person and a slave. But here is the law of God and it is radical and it says the law is the law is the law for anybody there are no such thing as slaves and free and, and things like that just because there is asylum seekers or refugees they are to be treated the same as citizens that's what the Bible says in Leviticus 
The Bible is full of times where God condemns the practice of giving and receiving bribes. Right? That's a fairly common thing, right? Do you know why that is? There are still cultures, plenty of cultures around the world that, that exists on the giving and the receivings of bribes. Why is it that God's law says, no, we don't do that? The reason is simple. Because if you're poor, you can't afford the bribes and it's not fair. God's law forbids the giving and the receivings of bribes because it's not fair, because only the wealthy can afford them. Mishpat is about racial and social equality. Look at Isaiah 58 verse 7. What I'm interested in seeing you doing is this, sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. All right, so I want to bring out two things. First of all, I want to look at this word, the homeless poor. This doesn't just mean the people living on the street and in the cars and in the couch surfing. It, it, it doesn't mean just that. There is a much bigger meaning to the word homeless poor, and it means those without a country, those without a nation, those who've been kicked out and can't be back home. You are to take care of the refugee, is what that text says. The refugee and the asylum seeker. Also, this text um, where it says in this translation, being available to your own families. Sounds all right, doesn't it? But it does sound a little bit self-serving when you look at the rest of the text, right? Being available, it's about my family. Actually, it's about those who are related to you by their humanity. All humanity is included in what is to be treated as equal. Being available to your own flesh and blood, as in your human family. All humans are to be treated the same. And that was radical in its day. So that's the first element we learn from the word mishpat in the Old Testament. The second thing we learn is that it goes a bit further than just treating everybody equally. Secondly, there's a special concern in the Old Testament for vulnerable populations. It goes beyond just equality, right? It's, um... Okay, so there are four basic groups of people. In the Old Testament, they come up again and again and again and again. We saw part of them in Isaiah 58 that we just read. And some, I think it's more clearly stated in Zechariah 7 to 9. Zechariah 7 to 9 is a bit of a, a sister text to Isaiah 58. It's kind of a, a mirror text. And in Zechariah, it says it like this. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, do not plot evil against each other. But here we have four, the four. The widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the poor. These are called, in some circles, the quartet of the vulnerable. Because they come up over and over and over again. And what he says, these people are not just, uh, are not just to be treated equally. These people are starting from a lower position in you in life. They have disadvantages in life. And we are to actively work for their restoration or to their actively work for their equality. They need affirmative action, if you like. God believes in affirmative action for the widows, the poor, foreigners, and the orphans. They are at, not only are they at risk of being mistreated, abused, and exploited, they just don't have the same opportunities as we do, as the rest of society, for whatever reason. Sometimes 
Sometimes they don't have the same legal rights, as is the case for women in a lot of the world still at the moment. Sometimes they don't have the same money. Sometimes they don't have the same opportunities. Sometimes they don't have the same strength. And they need some affirmative action. So Justice Mishpat goes beyond treating people equally. It involves the sacrifice of the blessed for those who have less. It involves charity. That is God's justice. But it goes beyond that as well. And it goes to advocacy. See, part three in Mishpat is about challenging social structures. It's good to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, clothe the naked, house the homeless, and all, all that sort of stuff. It's great to do individual work, one-on-one, -on -one, to treating everybody equally, to giving people what they need. But God's understanding of justice involves challenging social structures. Have a look at Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. So there are, there are groups of people who have been chained or yoked or oppressed by certain social structures. It's good that we are caring and we are sacrificing in order to, to help them. It's good that we are, we, we are engaged in affirmative action. But at the same time, God's justice and God's mission is to loose those things that bind and oppress people. The social structures, the economic structures, the government structures. That is part of Mishpat. So if we truly know God, if we are grateful to God, if we truly understand our place in the universe, if we understand that 99% of who we are and what we have comes from God, then our participation in the mission of God is to bring fairness and equality to all, to participate in affirmative action for the vulnerable and to fight for the freedom of the oppressed. That is justice. And it's a big task. Over the next five weeks, different guest speakers are going to come and to unpack elements of that justice and how we can be involved and participate in it. But I just want to talk for a minute about where our, where our motivation, where our fuel, where our ability comes from to engage in this mission. To engage in this mission is interesting. I'm a scientist, an engineer by initial training. I'm a theologian now, don't worry about it. And I love systems. I work with systems all the time. I, I went to uh, Melbourne the other month to work with a bunch of people who were building the systems of the Salvation Army headquarters. And you know what? They are project managers. So you know project managers are great. Project managers have systems to build systems to build systems. I love project management. It's great. Everything is just systematized. Da, 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 da. If only it worked out the way it was all planned. And I, I you sort of take that view when it comes to poverty and injustice. If we could just fix the education system, if we could fix our government, if we could fix the, the healthcare system, or if we could fix the welfare system, 
If we could just fix the system, everything would be right and would work. Unfortunately, actually, Tim Keller brings a story. Um, a woman by the name of Beatrice, uh, what was her surname? Beatrice Webb, was one of the founders of the British welfare state. 1890 through to 1940, she's a contemporary of the Salvation Army's early days. And it was a time of great optimism and positivity. And Beatrice was one of those people who was in, heavily involved in setting up the welfare systems of Great Britain. The ways in which people would be cared for and looked after by, by the state. At the same time, all across Europe, intellectuals would, were working on the same, prob, the same ideas and putting together social systems in, in Finland and Sweden and all these great places. And their social systems still work really well today. So in the 1890s, looking back in her diary, Beatrice Webb wrote this, I have staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. Human nature was understood to be basically good. Most of the intellectuals in Europe were like that. And they thought that if they could just get the machinery in place, just get the systems right, then, then everybody would be taken care of. Justice would be achieved. And the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of God would be, would be real on earth for everyone. But 1925, Beatrice Webb, Beatrice Webb wrote this in her diary. I now realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in man. And how little you can count on changing them by any change in the social machinery. No amount of knowledge or science will be of any avail unless we curb the bad impulse. It's a 35 year lesson learned. No amount of knowledge or science will be of any value unless we can curb the bad impulses of the human heart. This is why the mission of God and the mission of justice begins at the cross with your heart, your motivation. Look at Isaiah 58 again. These people thought they were genuinely good. They were religious. They were good. They did all the good things. They were dutiful in the pursuit of God's plan. They did their bit, but God wasn't doing his bit. God, wasn't, God doesn't then go and criticize what they were doing. They were doing the right thing. They were at church. They were singing. They were worshiping. They were wearing the right clothes, the sackcloth and ashes. and They were fasting. I mean, you've got to be committed to go without food. They were doing the right things. But God says... You're missing it. You're missing the whole point. Religion, or even any secular system of morality that tries to do justice out of a sense of this sort of duty is going to fail. Duty does not result in humility it results in entitlement. Duty will always result in the minimum. 
People will only volunteer if they feel needed or wanted. People will stop serving and volunteering when it gets tough. People will do just the minimum required if they're doing it out of a sense of duty. Duty results not in humility but in entitlement. God calls, the fo- calls his followers, that's us, to something else. Look at verse 13 of Isaiah 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, well, that, okay, so that bit's fine. That's the law. Keep the Sabbath. Do what God wants. Fulfill your duty. But he then says, and if you call the Sabbath a delight, you can keep God's God's law. You can fulfill God's mission. You can engage in God's church and volunteer and all of that out of a sense of duty or obligation. You can do that. But you're missing the point. I don't know about you, but I was growing up in church and uh, I was made to come to worship when I was a kid. I wasn't allowed when I was five years old to stay home alone. I was made to participate in junior soldiers, Sunday school, singing company, junior band, all that other sort of stuff. And it was great. I enjoyed it. I appreciated what I learned, but the primary reason why I went to all these things was because my parents encouraged me. So long as you live under this roof. Mum's here, and she's laughing more than all of you. So long as you live under this roof. That was my motivation. So what happens when I get to my teenage years? Uh, Have you heard of this? There's a story told of a student. And it's the student's job to study Mozart. So they listen to Mozart a lot. They pick apart the themes and the melodies and the rhythms of how Mozart constructs everything. They write papers on Mozart. They, they answer questions on Mozart. They learn to play pieces of Mozart. And in the end of the course of study, they're absolutely sick of Mozart. Have you ever had a subject a bit like that? I was a bit like that with church. I'd studied it, I picked it apart, I did all the stuff, I sung all the songs. But eh, perhaps you had some similar experience in your teens. Fortunately for me, I had a number of things happen in my life. A few wake-up calls. And it, it forced me to go back to basics. And I began to see things a bit differently. I went through a period of social, uh, a period of spiritual awakening. 
I began to understand that God's mission was first about me. That God's mission was first about my heart, my sin, my shame, my salvation. I stopped and I sat with the idea that God sent his son to die for me. God sent his son to die for me. And the beauty of that hit me. Suddenly, I saw the beauty of God It's like, I'd, it's like suddenly Mozart randomly comes up on my playlist and I'm listening to it and I hear it differently. I hear the beauty and the genius of the music as it plays and I fall in love with it. I have a completely new appreciation for it. God sent his son to die on the cross for every single person. That is a beautiful sacrifice. That is a motivating fact of history. Suddenly I saw the beauty of what God was involved in. I saw the way in which the life and the message of Jesus brought hope to people who were hopeless. It was energizing and fulfilling. And as we participate in God's mission, if we call it a delight, we'll end up in verse 14. Then you'll find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast in the inheritance of your father Jacob. Then, Anne's going to come, we're going to sing a song. The song's called Beauty for Brokenness. And as, as we play it and as we sing it, I want to ask you a question. The question is a rather simple one. Why did you come to church today? Why did you get up this morning, drive here, have a coffee, sit in a seat, stand, sit, stand, sit, sit, stand? Why? Perhaps you volunteer and serve in, in the ministries of the core. Maybe you serve on the front desk, maybe you serve in the band, maybe you serve... Multicultural ministries, maybe you serve upstairs in the first floor program, maybe you serve in our youth ministries, maybe you serve in our children's ministries, maybe you serve. Why? Why do you do that? Is it out of a sense of duty? Out of a sense of obligation? Or do you know, deep in your soul, the beauty? Jesus, do you know 
that Jesus died on a cross for you, for your family, for your friends? Do you know how freeing that is? How no longer do you have to live with sin and shame? That you can be a new man, a new woman every day. Free from the ties that bind and the things that hurt. Do you know that? Why are you here? Why do you serve? What is the fuel?